Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guest today is Tommy Griffith. Tommy, thanks for joining us from the other side of the country. Kevin, thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate it. So tell our Rising Tide listeners a little bit about Tommy Griffith. Yes, so um, I am a digital marketing nerd. I've been doing a specific type of internet marketing called search engine optimization or SEO for about 10 years. Uh, I'm from the East Coast. Originally, I grew up about an hour outside of Boston and uh, uh, studied finance, graduated when the banks crashed and uh, had no idea what to do, couldn't get a job. And I read a, a book pretty well known in our, in our world, in our kind of industry now called Four Hour Workweek. Do you ever read this book? Yeah, that'll mess with your mind. It'll mess with your mind. It will, <laughs> it will blow your mind into another dimension for sure. <laughs> Um, make you depressed or make you encouraged. I don't, you know, yeah, of, there's no middle yeah, ground. That's a great point. Yes. You go very extreme on that one. It's probably, I mean, it's probably 10 years old now and it's, it's fairly out of date, but the fundamental things are, are, are still true. Right. Uh, which he was, Tim Ferriss, he wrote this book called four hour work week. The biggest scam of the whole book is nobody's working four hours. It's not, it's not the, it's very clickbaity kind of title, right? Sure. But the premise of the book was, it really was the catalyst for a lot of people to start internet businesses and remote businesses, building remote teams, and this whole idea of like location independent mm -hmm. lifestyles and businesses and things like that, right? So I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar, but um, yeah, graduated from university, read that book in a hammock in New Hampshire and uh, created my first the book sort of um, said was recommends an informational product as one of your first products, right? Creating a digital product. And so I had this, um, I wrote this very dorky ebook when I was getting started and tried to teach myself how to do search engine optimization when, when doing that, right? Um, that led into uh, starting my first business about a year later and it just failed miserably. Uh, I, I, I was overseas in Taiwan and starting a, a, a business with a friend of mine in medical tourism. We were trying to help patients find like medical procedures abroad. I was one of these people who I was like very blessed and uh, my parents paid for university. I, I'm one of the few people who graduated from university with no debt, but mm -hmm. I actually ended up putting myself into debt <laughs> after, after university, right? Tried this business, worked on it for a year, borrowed money from family and friends, and I just did everything wrong like everything <laughs> um it's not good right and but but i guess the one upside was teaching myself digital marketing right so the business was terrible it was a dumb idea so many things were wrong i could talk all day about how bad it was but by the end of it i'd learned search engine optimization i'd learned paid advertising i ended up coming home pretty miserable after two years of traveling um tail between my legs out of money had you know was was in debt yeah. In debt, in debt to family and friends, and I ended up just being, you know, I was looking for a job, and I ended up being right place, right time. Um, PayPal on uh, in San Francisco or in the Bay Area was was hiring, and that ended up being the next phase of my life where I managed search engine optimization at PayPal for two years, and then managed search engine optimization at Airbnb for four years, and was doing kind of enterprise SEO the last six years in San now Francisco. When you say managed, I mean I've, I've read this on a, on a blog post too. When you say managed, did you do you mean you were leading that, or you were working on a team, or how did how does that fit into? I mean these are these are major companies, so. The, the, this is people don't even believe this, but you you, you got to understand the weird corporate politics around all this. But yeah, I was the I was 24 years old and I was the only person managing search engine optimization at PayPal. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. Wow. Yeah, it's it's really not a testament to me. It's more a testament of how dumb office politics are. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like this guy's a genius and he can do it all. It's more that a bunch of people were making horrifying decisions and a, and like a young kid that came in to do something else was like hey dummies we got to fix this right? <laughs> so, uh, not nearly as glorious as it sounds yeah but you know what somebody with a lot of money and and uh, normally a lot of sense made a decision that a 24 year old could handle this with a company that you know of that size so that that's pretty impressive so i'm, I'm curious how you so were you in taiwan were you yeah. living in Taiwan at the time? Yeah, okay. I, I, it's, I lived in Taipei, Taiwan for a year. It was pretty wild. So the whole idea of kind of medical tourism, I mean, there are places on the planet that this works really well. I mean, you know, there are pockets of, and I'm assuming that even in Taiwan, there was some reason that, that you kind of picked that area. I mean, it probably has, you know, good medical care at a good price, easy to get to, you know, all these, 
I mean, I would assume that you kind of went through that list. <laughs> Maybe you're going to say, well, actually, if I would have, I would never have been in a well, well, Kevin, you're assuming I make good, <laughs> rational decisions, and that's, uh, that's a very dumb, dumb thing to say. There's our first problem. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, I mean, okay, there's a bunch of lifestyle choices in there, and then also, like, market opportunity stuff. And this is actually all wrapped in all this. I, I, I couldn't... I couldn't um, you know, I thought I was going to work at a bank in New York and, and couldn't. Banks were literally crashing. I remember going into Bear Stearns, applying for a job, and three days later, they went bankrupt. It's like 100. They were taking furniture out on a truck. Yeah. Three days later, it's like a 160-year-old financial institution. They closed the door like right after I walked out, right? Um, so I went, I went uh, abroad to teach English in Japan. I was an English teacher in Japan, and a buddy of mine came to visit me. We were getting more and more excited about four-hour work week, internet marketing, and we kind of did this backpacking trip around and we accidentally ended up in Taiwan for three days. It's like a layover kind of thing on the way to Thailand. Mm-hmm. We just loved it and thought it was really, really cool. I had just heard about medical tourism and we were just scheming. It was just like your classic having a million different ideas, Googling sure. a bunch of different ideas. And yeah, medical tourism uh, was working in a lot of different other countries for a lot of other different things. And we specifically we, we did go through that. I, okay, I'll give myself credit on this. We did go through that logical pr- progression you just mentioned of what made the most sense for Taiwan. And for us, it was, it was orthopedic surgery. So knee and hip replacement surgery, it's forty-five dollars to $65,000 in the US. And in Taiwan, you could do it all in with VIP accommodations, all inclusive, including airfare for about $11,000. Wow. With, yeah. with world, world-class um, doctors and, you know, that spoke fluent English and had yeah. gone to Harvard and gone to Harvard, <laughs> right? U S trained. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was, this was, you know, how a lot of business ideas come up. You put the numbers in the, in the Excel and then you're like, and then a week later you're like, why isn't it working yet? <laughs> where are the people? <laughs> right. Where I don't understand where the Lamborghini is. It exactly right. I've watched Ty Lopez videos. I know there are Lamborghinis somewhere <laughs> hidden in a garage somewhere. That's right. I, I waited a week and no Lamborghini no showed up. And it, was, it, was, it was a complete failure. No, but the big mistake we made, and um, obviously it's 10 years now, I've run my own business, I have staff and team and worked at other companies. The big mistake we made there was we got very greedy in wanting to own the entire value chain. So we wanted to mm. pitch, right? Like mark up the surgery, pick the user up, bring them in, make sure they were okay on the way home. And a lot of other people had this sort of idea at the same time. And what they did was they did lead generation. And it's way easier, especially for a bunch of dumb 22-year-olds working on their laptops, right? <laughs> so lead generation, you know, you know and, and it would have made a ton of sense. The hospitals, they were Taiwanese. They were really bad at marketing in English. And these, the customer lifetime values on these were, were you know, ten dollars to $15,000. It makes a lot of sense for them to buy leads at $50 a lead. Sure, right? yeah. If, if someone had, had knocked me over the head 10 years ago and told me that, that would have been great. But uh, it didn't work out that way, Kevin. So, uh, so here we are. <laughs> and thanks for bringing that up as, a, as a, the podcast host about, yeah. yeah, put me on the spot. So it's salt so, in the wound. That's exactly right. That's a, I'm still bitter about it. So, so tell me the, the transition. So you came home. I mean, you know, does one normally come home in debt and just kind of fly to San Francisco and start working for PayPal? I mean, that was, that's a pretty big leap from where you were. So how, how did that, that little segue happen? I mean, you kind of, yeah. Out of that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, you know, like a lot of like kind of the, the more brash and dumb you are and like the more you think you're good. I, I was very much like that. I was like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to come back home. Like everyone was going to like know my name and like <laughs> shout me from the rooftops. Right. And, um, you know, it didn't work. And so I was pretty anxious to get out there again. And I uh, went home, you know, was, was like, hey, mom, hey, dad. Um, <laughs> I'm back. It's me, your son. Uh, remember me? Is there a couch, right? <laughs> Is the basement I, open? <laughs> exactly. But I was out of there pretty quick. I mean, within a couple of weeks, I got really lucky and, um, and ended up, yeah, back there. And I really loved, I found what I loved, which is search engine optimization. I played, I played a lot of video games as a kid, computer games, and I started to treat search engine optimization the way I would treat a computer game, right? Rankings and traffic, and like, it felt like a video game to me. So what, what seemed like a lot of work to other people, it was, it, was, it, it was like playing a video game to me, right? So always sort of what it felt like. So it was just, I was super excited to, I, I couldn't believe someone would be willing to pay me for it, right? So, um, yeah, it ended up 
it ended up all working out and made it moved out to San Francisco. So I'm going to take a quick segue here because there've been a number of people that we've interviewed that, uh, that I've, you know, engaged with that are somewhat in the SEO space. So from an SEO newbie like myself, I, I mean, to me, places like Google, um, kind of their algorithms are fairly closely guarded secrets and how they, you know, the, the, the tweaks they make, the changes they make, how things rank, how they don't rank, what works, what doesn't work. How much of that is, is um, I don't want to say insider knowledge, but, but how much of that is knowledge versus kind of trial and error on your part? So do you, do you, are you continually testing, A-B testing, you know, that type of thing to, to see what is currently working? Or do you have you know, I've got 10 steps that I know, regardless of what their algorithm is, I know these 10 things will always work. I don't care if it's Panda, Parrot, Penguin, <laughs> whatever update it happens, Spotted Dog, it doesn't matter. Uh, do you understand the, kind of the background of the question? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, no, it does change. It, it does change a lot. I mean, you know, when I started doing on side project, I started in about 2008. By 2011, I was doing it for some of the biggest websites in the world. And then now I'm doing it for my own website again. And there's a lot that has changed. There's different platforms, um, right? There's different devices, right? Um, right? There's all kinds of different things. And the nature, not only does the nature of the environment change, but, but the type of company you are matters a lot as well. So the short answer to your question, no, there's not a tried and true formula where I follow these 10 steps every single time for the last 10 years. Definitely not. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the strategies change. And it's also, I, I used to be, what's that saying? Like, to a carpenter, every problem looks like a nail, right? Yeah. To a hammer, every, yeah, everything's a right. nail. That's right. And so for a long time I, I was like that, but, um, but, but I'm not any longer. So for example, yes, the, you know, um, I still love SEO. The majority of our traffic comes from SEO, but actually our biggest asset right now in our business is our email list and email marketing. Right. Yeah. And so it really depends on, on your business. There's plenty of companies that are doing nothing but Instagram or nothing but Pinterest. They don't care right. at all about SEO and they're, and they're seven figure, eight figure companies. Right. So, right. um, yeah, so, so that really does depend. But, um, in terms of, in terms of, um, what to look or look for, I think two, two of the big takeaways that might be counterintuitive to your audience. The first one is that SEO is no longer just Google on your desktop. Right. So, okay. okay t mobile search. That one's obvious. Everyone's querying things on, on their phone, on the go voice is getting interesting. There's getting more and more market share for voice search, right. With Google home and, and Hey Google and things like that. Right. Uh, I just activated it in my house. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but but there's also, right. Yeah. But, um, but there's also a ton of non Google, non um, tip traditional search engine opportunities in SEO as well. YouTube is the second largest yep. Uh, search is, engine, yeah. right? Google Images, Pinterest, eBay, Amazon, right? All of these are web applications with search engines and right. they require search engine optimization. They, they, they don't require it, but they, there's an opportunity to mm -hmm. optimize your pages on those platforms to, to rank higher, right? Um, Quora, Yelp, right? I mean, there's, there's all of the Airbnb, Airbnb, yeah. Airbnb hosts, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Turo, which is Airbnb for cars, right? Um, I mean, any, any web application that has to rank documents, sort mm -hmm. documents, has to pick the 10 best ones for those users. And that means there's an opportunity for you. So search engine optimization has changed a lot in that um, what, what, the way we teach SEO now is it's not about how do I rank number one on Google, it's how do you get your digital asset on these platforms like optimized that's in a way that's best for the platform hosting it and best for the user searching for it. Right. And it really does kind of depend on your, on your business. Does it, I mean, is it highly dependent on the platform? Yes. You have different strategies for each platform. For sure. Yep. And, and those kind of metrics are going to differ a lot. So like in, in the Google world, a lot of it is going to be links, right? In the Amazon world, a lot of it's going to be sales, right? Oh, yeah, um, right. Right. In the Airbnb world, it might be bookings, right? In the Pinterest world, it might be pins. Um, in the YouTube world, it might be um, total number of minutes watched per session, right? Yep. So it's really going to depend. But the way we try and get people to think about it is get in the head of both the platform you're optimizing on and the user you're trying to capture and you want to, you want to answer the question what's best for the platform and what's best for the user. And if you are, if your document can be the right answer to both of those things, you're yeah. going to be a relevant document and the likelihood you're going to be ranking in the top three is, is higher. So currently I mean, your company is called click minded, correct? 
Yep. So right. currently, is that is it more of a digital product delivery system, or is it more of a? I mean, are you like a marketing agency? Yeah. No. So we are. Uh, we're, we're a product. Um, so ClickMinded is a digital marketing training course. Um, started as an SEO course that I started at PayPal actually, and worked on it and worked on it and worked on it to pay down to to help try and pay down all that debt from that miserable first attempt that we were talking about before. Um, but yeah, ClickMind is now a, a, a completely online uh, digital course. We have seven courses um, covering a lot of different topics. It's all sort of delivered automatically. It's all online, 35 hours of HD video. And our models, we try and, we try and um, teach stuff that, uh, that's taught by world-class instructors. So uh -huh. we do... Uh, uh, SEO, paid advertising, content marketing, email marketing, Google Analytics, social media, and sales funnels. And uh, right, the, the social media course is taught by the former head of social media from Airbnb. Wow. The, the content marketing course is taught by the content strategist from Lyft. And kind of all the, uh, we try and find world-class experts that do this every day and they, they're our instructors. And there, is there a, like an MMA course where you get an Uber guy and a Lyft guy there together and they're arguing for like 30 <laughs> yeah, minutes yeah. in a That's course? Right. So, Battling it out. That wouldn't be a bad idea. Battle of the, the ride sharing. So. We could do tech, tech nerd celebrity deathmatch or something like that, right? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Right. I love the way that you talked about, you know, how you approached SEO kind of like you were playing a video game. Can you, can you unpack that just a little bit? I mean, because that you know the old adage that said you find something you love you know you'll never work, work another day in your life type thing i mean it just sounded like to me that you know you and i don't i don't mean in in any way deprecating here but you sounded like i'm a big kid in an adult world you know having fun and actually making a living doing this so i'm i can't believe i'm pinching myself you know cuz i can't believe that people are paying me to play this video game called SEO. Right. The big dirty secret is these idiots didn't even have to pay me this entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I would have done this for free. Just pay me pizza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the big, uh, are you familiar with this guy, Naval Ravikant? I'm not. No. Yes. Yeah, I, I highly recommend you check him out, your listeners as well. He's a um, prolific kind of Silicon Valley um, tech investor, entrepreneur, um, he's done a lot of different things. Angel List is sort of his big one, but he's recently sort of come around that last. He was really bullish on on uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency before it mm -hmm. hit. But but his real thing now the last few years is he's become um, very philosophical and kind of leading the way in in how you should live your life. Mm -hmm. um, and really really interesting sort of thoughts. He's got this tweet storm on Twitter called uh, how to get rich without getting lucky. And that sounds very, very spammy link baity and like buy my, buy my nine ninety nine ebook today. It's not like that. He actually openly admits that he wrote the very click baity title for this, what a very profound, um, tweet storm. He actually turned the entire tweet storm into a podcast. Um, which is, which is really interesting. We should talk more about that for, I think that'd be a great opportunity for Papa Brand Media, actually, going after turning tweet storms into into podcasts, right? Wow. But, but anyways, his his whole philosophy is what you should be working on should mm -hmm. to it should look to other people like you're working, and it should just be play to you, right? And if every his whole kind of point is if everybody did that, we would generate so much more value in the world, right? Mm -hmm. And this this happened with me. I mean, ClickMinded worked but it was probably my 15th idea. Mm -hmm. And I had this happen all the time. Like, you know, okay, so I'd, I'd moved to San Francisco. I got the job and I was working to, I needed, I started the side project to pay down all that debt I had uh, incurred from the last project. And so I kept trying a bunch of different things. Sometimes the ideas would last a week. Sometimes they would last a year. I, I think it, it's obvious to, if you're, if you're one of these people, I'm curious if you are actually, um, Kevin, on whether or not whether or not you're one of these like idea seizure people right like and the way you can tell is how many unused domains you have in your web hosting account right uh, like, this is not about me this is about you okay <laughs> right yeah we need to talk kevin that's <laughs> no. i have open on google right, right exactly but my my dream host account was a graveyard of dumb ideas right and domains you know i mean we all do this right entrepreneurs they do this but um, I did this a lot. It's like one example, you know, before ClickMinded, I had this idea for an iPhone app 
lead generation site, right? And so iPhone app development was getting really big in 2011. Everyone wanted their own app and, you know, iPhone penetration was getting really, really high. And so I saw, okay, search volumes going up in Google. A lot of people are looking for this. And so I got this website up running and ranking for like iPhone app development quotes and like iPhone app development companies. And I started like, you know, giving, giving the leads to other people. And then I was going to start monetizing it. And I just hated it. Like I hated the business, you know? Um, and I just couldn't pull myself out of bed on Saturday morning to go work on it. I hated it. Even though it was working, even though it was generating a lot of money, I just had no interest in it. And so I think one, one thing to, to keep in mind, this is a super long answer to your, to your question, but yeah, it has felt like play. And one thing to keep in mind if you're working for someone else and you're, about, you're thinking about trying to start something on the side, um, the first, you know, whatever metric you want to use, first thousand email addresses, first $10,000, first whatever metric you want to use, the first batch of it, the only engine driving that is you mm-hmm. and your own personal interest in it, right? Right. If you're not like, I see so many people, they, you know, I'm not saying it's impossible to start an unsexy business. I know people, you know, they're selling, you know, t- tape dispensers on Amazon and there's like, and that's fine. I'm not saying, I'm not saying um, it has to be, it has to be sexy, but it's all about increasing your likelihood, your percentage chance. And I think the thing that people underrate the most is their own personal interest in this thing, right? I per, I tried so many different things and it turns out I really, really love SEO and I really like teaching as well. And so um, when I finally hit this, an SEO training course was just my dream come true. Like I, I, I really love nerding out on this stuff. I really enjoy teaching it. And every time I was working neurotically on it, it just felt like play. And you know, all, it was really funny too because all of the other initial competing courses, they were all taught very reluctantly by people who didn't want to be there talking into their laptop in a dingy, dirty basement. And surprise, exactly. surprise, like mine, mine was way better, right? And so that was the, you know, it took 15 tries, but <laughs> I finally, finally got there. So there's a, and you, you just talked about that. There's a, there's a quote that I saw on a, uh, as I was watching a, a previous video and, and I wrote it down before we, we got on air here and said, if you're the engine, the size of the market is often less important than the size of your own personal interest in the market. Expand on that just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and some of this is like Silicon Valley navel gazing. Um, I think it was Mark Andreessen or one of these like prolific tech investors. They the 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 the, the like standard sort of thing now in Silicon Valley is the markets matter. Like, mm-hmm. the, what's the quote? I would take a mediocre team and a mediocre product in a great market. That's what they say, and they want right. they want to go after they want the, the the venture capitalists want you to go after um, great markets. And like right. logically in the Google in the in the Excel sheet that makes sense to me, right? But you know, life isn't very logical. And like, um, they're, talk- they're talking about sizing these opportunities. They're not talking about how you live your life. And if you're working for someone else and you're working 50 hours a week, gr- pulling yourself out of bed on Saturday morning, there's nothing about the Excel sheet that's there. It's yeah. right. And so I just personally found that my initial idea for QuickMinded wasn't good. My initial distribution strategy wasn't good. The product had to change a bunch of different times, but the only thing that was unchanging was my interest in it. I really liked it. And that's what pushed me into finding the right opportunity. I was physically teaching classes. It didn't work. The business model was really bad, but it ended up being the right place, right time for this online learning revolution that we're in now. It's, it's really easy to, to create an online course, but in 2012, it was not. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of other people were trying to do it, but I had, I was, I was physically teaching in person and because I enjoyed it and then it ended up being right place, right time. And it turned into an online course. So I think people underestimate their own personal interest in markets. But you, you had to, you kind of stick through the uh, kind of the valley there too. I mean, you know, when you first started, um, you know, I want to ask you about the, uh, the infamous friend, um, named Philip Liu, but I mean, when you're when you're first trying to get started, and and I mean, I love the idea that you, you used you know meetups, you know dot com as kind of a, a an email list builder and and just to generate interest in these you know kind of rev share, you know let's get a co working space, let's do a you know happy hour, those types of things that we were doing things to kind of gather people together to do these courses. 
so talk, tell me a little bit about the uh, dreaded St. Patty's Day. Was it 26th birthday? <laughs> oh, man, this is a <laughs> this is a brutal day. Um, yeah, th- this is if if anyone listening wants to hear just just laugh at my misery get ready buckle up because here it goes so yes so the initial just just as a summary the initial product was a physical in-person seo class i was teaching i was managing search engine optimization at paypal my boss had asked me to to teach a class for coworkers. i got a lot of great feedback on it i ended up saying hey this this is an idea maybe i'll do this and i started teaching classes to startups on the weekends in san francisco i would go to a co-working space i would hammer out a revenue share with them and I would teach kind of all day in, in, um, in the class. Um, it was, the initial product was, yeah, $500 per person. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all you can SEO. I would do a bunch of preparation beforehand and help optimize their site. So um, a lot of, some, some individuals, but a lot of businesses were paying for this. And it was someone who was kind of like forced into doing search engine optimization. They didn't, didn't know what they were doing. Right. Um, four and five person classes were great, right? Uh, you know, um, per day before expenses and all that. But one person classes were terrible. (laughs) And I had this, this moment where, you know, I'd probably done four or five of them already. And I got an email from a guy named Philip and he's a Chinese guy. And he said, Hey, uh, this looks really great. I'd love to come by, but I'm only in town one weekend and, uh, it's on this date. Can you do it? And it was March. It was Saturday, March 17th, St. Patrick's day. Also my 26th birthday. (laughs) And so I was actually at the bar and I got the email on my phone and I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, do I not, you know, do what do I say? I'm like, oh. And I think about all the debt I had and I'm like, all right, I got to, I got to clear out this debt. Okay. Yes, I'll do it. And he says, and then he replies back and he's like, great. Do you have a promo code? And like, <laughs> <laughs> Are you serious? All right, fine. Yeah, here's a promo code. Fill up. <laughs> but then when I did out the math, it was horrible, right? So I had a 50-50 revenue share with the co-working space. You know, I would print out printed materials that were like really nice and cost some money. I would buy the guy lunch, right? <laughs> PayPal fees, Eventbrite fees, right? All these things. And then, um, you know, I prepared for it for, for, for three or four hours on a Saturday night as a 25-year-old. And then all day Saturday on my 26th birthday, I did out the math. I was making tw- I was making twelve dollars an hour, and San Francisco minimum wage was thirteen dollars an hour. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was the worst company to work for in San Francisco. I, I love that line. That I, I suddenly became the worst company in the in San Francisco to work for. Breaking labor laws. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was uh, violating all the laws in San Francisco to, to pay myself. It was you not wanted good. to unionize yourself so you could oh, get man. back at the man. Exactly. <laughs> I wanted to sue myself, take myself to court, right? Go, go on strike. <laughs> not good. <laughs> okay. So, so we've seen kind of the dark side of the early stages. So what was kind of the tipping point? What was, what was the thing that happened or that you started doing that you thought, oh, wow. And you can look back kind of in hindsight and go, that, that, was, when it, that was when everything changed. Yeah, so um, the, uh, I hate using cliches, but was luck, luck is preparation and opportunity or something like that? Yeah. Like, uh, or no, success is luck and time's preparation divided by opportunity. I don't know. Yeah, but anyways, like I, right place, right time is a better right. way to describe it, right? Are you familiar with Udemy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Udemy, online course marketplace, uh, 2012, it was a much different sort of universe. Um, I actually highly recommend against Udemy now. I'm very, um, very grumpy with them. But they were, they were. It's really just not a place to to create a legitimate online business. There's plenty of online platforms where you can create an actual living on, Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, Amazon. Right? There's plenty of right. platforms you can. Udemy, you cannot. They've they've, they've changed it so it's very teacher unfriendly. It's, 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 I actually don't even recommend starting there. It's okay for keyword research and ideas, but it was a different company then. Um, but yeah, started with them and also with meetups as you had, had mentioned earlier. So I think one of the big things looking back was, especially with internet marketing and a lot of people running internet businesses and startups, people will do 
everything they can to not leave their house. <laughs> everything they can. They would rather send 20,000 cold emails than one cold call, right? And all these sorts of things. And it wasn't my intention, but um, by going offline first, I ended up probably a year ahead of everyone else. And so what I did was, um, yeah, my favorite, it still works today. My favorite user acquisition for a new business idea is meetup.com. It costs $15 to per uh, every three months. So $60 a year mm -hmm. to be an organizer. When you create your group, they will immediately email everyone in the vicinity that's interested in that. So I started the San Francisco SEO meetup in 2011 for $15. They emailed everyone in San Francisco and I had a hundred person email list in three days. Wow. No work. Pretty good start. Yeah. Right. They picked, I picked a, a, a bar um, in a popular place and, and picked a time, right? 6 PM on a Thursday and you know, didn't even, didn't buy anyone drinks, just picked it. Says everyone come here. That's all I did. <laughs> right. I did that two times. The email list kept growing. And then for the third time I said, Hey, I have this SEO course. I'm teaching it. It's normally $500, but it's free for the first 20 people to email me. I emailed it to the whole meetup group. Everyone emails back, they clamor in, they want it. They come in, they dog food it, they give feedback. Um, a bunch of people gave Yelp reviews and then it became a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. I suddenly had a hundred users, right? They joined, they gave reviews, right. um, all those sorts of things. And so not only was it very valuable to, to use meetup to physically get people, um, and I, I thought I love that tactic because like I said, people don't want to leave their house. But the other thing was, because I was teaching in person, you see when you suck faster, mm. right? And so like everyone, this is an online course example, but I'm sure there's corollaries to this as well. Like um, when, you when you create an online course and then you publish it, you don't hear back on whether or not it's good until after the, the guy who bought it leaves you a one-star review, right? Exactly. When, but when you're, when you're teaching in person, you see that expression on their face mm -hmm. or you see the way someone laughs and you start to compound on that. So I, I taught the class 13 times in person for creating an online course. That's a huge advantage. Yeah. Obviously. Right. And, and so, and so looking back, I think the big thing I did, even though we're, a, we're an entirely remote company, we're an entirely digital product, everything we have is online. The very beginnings were all offline. It's that sort of do things that don't scale mantra. Like it did not scale at all. It wasn't working at all, but we took all that learning. I took all that learning, compounded it, and then it became what, what it is today. That I mean that that's amazing how that you know you utilize things that were that were a little bit you know counterintuitive to what the average person was out there trying. I mean you know you said they were they were trying to avoid face to face like the plague. They weren't even thinking about meetup. They were you know kind of using more traditional you know approaches. Let's just blast fifty thousand emails out there and and you know if we have one tenth of one percent response, we're 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 gold and you know the whole whole nine yards. But Speaking of being counterintuitive, what are, what are one or two other things that you've learned along the way that, that are really would fall into that kind of counterintuitive category? So, and I think, and one quick thing, the, I just want to reiterate, this was not intentional. Like, not, nothing I did that worked was because I knew what I was doing. It was, I was violently swinging my arms with my <laughs> eyes closed until something hit, right? So it was not like I knew what I was doing. It's just in hindsight, it looks like I, I, that's I, probably I true more right. than we know. I mean, of, of yeah, people that look in the, you know, look, it's easy to drive in the rearview mirror. So. That's, that's very fair. That's very fair. Um, the other big thing too, and it depends on, it depends on who you are and, 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 and what you're trying to do, like whether you're full-time on your startup or you're um, working for someone else and thinking about starting, um, starting a side project. The biggest thing for me, one of the most underrated parts for me was that I lived in a city that I wasn't from. And mm -hmm. I actually didn't have a lot of um, really, really tight connections to San Francisco. I had friends, I had coworkers, but I'd just gotten there. And I found that your friends and your family can accidentally be the, the worst, most burdensome weights on your trajectory. And the reason why it's not necessarily malicious, sure. but it's this weird human behavior thing where people don't want you to change. And it's not because they hate you. And it's not even necessarily jealousy. I and mean, of course, some people are jealous, but it's this weird thing in our minds where when we see something that's out of place, 
we, we try and pull it back in and it's, mm-hmm. it's dumb little things. Oh, that's a new haircut. It's dumb. Right. Oh, you have, Oh, those, those shoes are stupid. Oh, why are you talking with a weird accent now? Or why you don't like rap? Why do you listen to rap now? You like country, right? Yeah. It's these little things. And if you're trying to get a violent change of direction in your life or in your business or try something new, the, the world crushes you down and tries to keep you where you are. And I'm not, I'm not talking about conspiracy theories. I'm not talking sure. about everyone's trying to screw you over, but it's just this sort of natural thing that we all do. Mm. And so I found it incredibly helpful when I was trying to take a violent change in, of trajectory in my life to, to disappear, to bail on friends. And it was really hard. I made a lot of friends angry. Um, you know, I didn't show up for, for people's, you know, picnics and like birthday parties and did, I, I, I to be oh, weddings. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Weddings, weddings, man. You have a long memory there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I have to admit, I, I lied a lot. I lied to friends. I made up excuses and lied and said, you know, said I was, wasn't in town when I was and was working on my project. And like I gave, I, I, um, it was really hard to disconnect. And I had friends in the city, you know, there's a university nearby where like everyone migrated from the university to the city. And a lot of my roommates and friends were like in this big group and like a hundred people that all went to university together, were all kind of living in the city, working together. And they, it's really hard to break out of that. Some people love it. They love their job. They have the same girlfriend or boyfriend for 10 years and they don't want to change. But like, right. if you're trying to do something very different, being in that group that's known you for five or 10 or 20 years, they accidentally hold you back. So in a really counterintuitive way, people, people think they want a safety net. People think they want to be able to drive home when, when times get tough. I disagree. I think the, the fastest way to accelerate change is to get as far away from the people you know as possible. What's that old uh, adage about crabs in a bucket? You don't have to have a lid on the bucket because as, as soon as one tries to crawl out of the bucket, the others are going to grab him and pull him back down. Exactly. Um, exactly. And it's, uh, yeah, you're right. It's, it's not, I mean, I, I would, wouldn't throw anybody in the bus. It's not, it's not intentional. It's just, it really is kind of a, almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that you're just saying, you know, this is, this is kind of like group think takes over and, and, uh, you know, conspires against you know, somebody trying to kind of break out of the orbit here. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's the flying V of, of the ducks. <laughs> you know, you got one duck hanging right here. So exactly. But if you show up in a new town, you know, you're the side project guy or exactly. you're the, you know, whatever it is. And exactly. so it ended up, it ended up being a big advantage for me. Right. And you can create your own rhythm. You know, if you don't have an established rhythm, you can kind of create the rhythm. And then as the friends come along, they understand the rhythm that, you know, that's created. So I, I, um, I, I want to take a, another little kind of kind of left turn here. I mean, we're we're entering the kind of the segment of the podcast that we, we want to talk about the rising tide micro course, which is the section where, you know, you're the professor and, and we just I just really want you to speak to our audience about, you know, top two or three steps about a specific thing. And you and I talked briefly about this before, but um, I'm really interested in the in the meetup space. Could you could you focus in just on, you know, speaking of a micro course, this is a you know, micro focus on a micro course. So how do you, how would you, if you were starting again from scratch and you were trying to get a business off the ground or business idea off the ground, what would be two or three things, two or three strategies that you would use to use Meetup? And if, if I'm, I'm really throwing him a curve here. So if he pulls this off, he's amazing. He's, <laughs> ad lib, he's an ad lib unicorn here. So this, this is a great idea. No one has ever asked me this and I've thought about this a lot. So this is, this is super cool. It was, I was not primed before the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Now this is a great question. Um, and it's actually super frustrating because people ask this all the time, how should I get it started? And they never do it and they never do it. So um, this is exactly how I would do it. We're using meetup um, and the exact tactics. We're going to get very specific here. So if you're not familiar with meetup.com, this might sound like a foreign language, but um, yeah, go to meetup.com. You can figure it yeah, out. Hit pause right now and go to yeah. meetup.com and then come back. That's right, right. And then come back. So yeah. Um, first things first is keyword research. Keyword research is a whole topic in and of itself. I won't cover all of it today, but the basic idea is you can use third-party tools to figure out how much people are Googling certain terms, right? So, um, you know, uh, if I was creating a, a product for water fasting, right? Or if I was creating a new type of shoe or create, you know, an online course or a consultancy, you can figure out 
how many people are, are Googling for that. And you can do that at the national level or the local level. It depends on your, your business. Um, won't go into the full details today, but the first thing I would do is keyword research to get a proxy for demand, right? So I have this mm -hmm. idea, do people actually want it? And the, the basic idea here is people should be Googling for it if they actually want it, if there's a market need for it. Right. Keyword, keyword research is a very kind of come to Jesus moment because uh, what a lot of people do, this is a question a lot of people have, they say, I did my keyword research, nobody's looking for my idea, what should I do? I have a really tough answer for you. And the answer is don't do that idea. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> right? right? Um, so the, the prerequisite here is that you, you have a, a reasonable hypothesis that people actually want what you're about to do. I would take that keyword research and probably name the meetup group exactly that or close to that, right? Um, so, so I wanted to rank number one for um, San Francisco SEO, right? Or SEO San Francisco. Uh, and that's so why I created the San Francisco SEO meetup, right? And so right. my primary keyword was in that, in the URL, in the, um, in the title, right? People were linking to it with those things. And so it was helpful for those rankings. Uh, but, but that actually was a, a minor piece. Uh, you set up meetup. You, you need to be really specific about the categories you pick. So don't just pick everything. Be very specific about the categories. So, um, right, like... Uh, there's going to be a lot of weird meetups in there, right? Men 50 plus interested in networking, women 50 plus interested in networking. Like I love hiking. I love, you know, pottery. Don't pick everything. Be very specific about the categories you pick because then meetup is meetups only going to, it's not going to blast all of them. It's going to blast what it thinks are the most likely, right? So pick right. Those. pay the $15, do it, set up a meetup. I really like happy hours on Thursdays. Um, uh, at 6 p.m. It doesn't have to be drinking involved, but, but um, usually after work on a weekday, it's how you want to do it. Always make sure it's free and uh, it's as little friction as possible. So sometimes they say, answer these questions about meetup, answer, answer to join, no friction. Don't make them do anything, just one click and they're in. They should also automatically be added to the meetup group when they add themselves to the event, right? Uh, these are settings that, that, are, that you can mess with in meetup. And here's the key. At the meetup, you want to be asking people to leave reviews when they leave. So you need to be the host. And as they leave, you say, hey, by the way, you're going to get a reminder from meetup tomorrow about how the meetup went. I'd love an honest review if you can get a chance. And you want to get a couple of five-star reviews on the meetup, right? The key is, and this is what really worked very well, the day the meetup ends, you set up a new meetup. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to do it soon, it could be a month away. It could even be two months away. But there's two types of searches that people do on Meetup. One is for Meetup groups and one is for upcoming events. Right. Right. And so what I did was I, when I set up the second event, I didn't even know if I was going to do it, but I hosted it a month out and every day I would add 10 people, 10 people, 10 people, 10 people, 10 people. And then surprise, surprise, two weeks later, 100 people, 150 people, 200 people on this list, right? You suddenly have a digital asset then right? And so that digital asset can grow and you can move that, you can move that digital asset around. Hey, and you got like, this is probably breaking their terms of service, but I'll just say, it. Hey guys, sorry, we had to postpone the meetup, but by the way, I have this online course. It's free. Click here to learn more. Right. So and I, now one thing I haven't played with and you know, meetup was bought by WeWork. I have a bunch of friends at WeWork now. Someone put my hear this and end up killing me, but I, <laughs> I always, I was always, um, I think meetup has some fraud algorithms around. They don't want people to set up a million meetups in a million different cities. So I think there's something to hosting that first meetup in that first city where they see people checking in and, and they can probably triangulate some fraud around it. But right. if you're in a place with a lot of different cities, like let's say you live in Los Angeles or New York and they're within driving distance. Mm -hmm or you're on your business traveling, I think you might be able to pull this off in a couple cities. Like I, yeah. you know, I do think you want to do that first physical in-person meetup to get it started because it's likely you'd be marked as spam if they, if they're detecting something fishy, but I think you could rinse, wash, repeat this strategy in a, in a, in a lot of different cities. Um, so that's the way I would do it in terms of bootstrapping and email lists. And I think a lot of people still don't do it because it's hard. It's hard to meet new people. It's, 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 you know, even if you're an extroverted person, it's, it's anxiety inducing. It's hard to do the logistics. Some people are weird. A lot of meetup people are weird. I have to admit, like they're not always the coolest people. Of course some are like, mm -hmm. but, um, but you have to deal with a lot of that. And so, um, yeah, that's exactly how I would start a new business with meetup. 
So I've got a meetup group that I can email members, but can you actually see their email addresses? Can you export this to a mailing list or is it all within the system itself? Great question. I believe you cannot see their email address. It has to be messaging on their platform. I think some of them can opt into showing their email address, but that's going to be under 1%. The key is that they are on Meetup. They haven't changed their defaults, so they still receive messages, and you need to suck them out of the platform as quickly as possible. So right. you're doing this through a lead page. How are you? How are you getting them transferred out of the out of the system? So, so I, I haven't done this in a while. But the way I did it in the past was, hey, right, um, hey, it was was all le legitimate with in terms of service. Hey, I'm doing a free SEO course, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when you're physically when you're physically doing the meetups, you could do some interesting things. Hey, here's my iPad to check in, right, sure. and like take email addresses there. But the other thing too is just. Hey, we have this, like I said before, doing this sort of, um, hey, we normally charge X number of dollars, but it's free for meetup members for the first 20 members, some type of scarcity, right? Uh -huh. um, like click here to grab it. And so, yeah, you could do whatever you wanted. You know, a lead yeah. page. Right. In my particular case, it was Udemy um, mm -hmm. and my own homepage with my, for my own email list. So click here to, to, or yeah, it was a landing page on my page that grabbed their email address and then I gave them a link to Udemy when they signed up. Right. All right. Yeah. I'm thinking like, you know, click here for the kind of the notes before the meetup or, you know, whatever that magic, magic thing is. But yeah, there's, the there's magnet, always yeah. ways around that. But so, I mean, marketing though, through meetup, you think that's, that's against their terms of service or, you know, spamming group members. Um, yeah, I would have, I would, I would generally not do it. Um, it, I would mostly use meetup for, Hey, we have an event coming up. And hey, here's here's a thing to get off the to, for right. me to get you off the platform. I right. generally would because um, people don't want to see it, and so it's only you're you're just buying you're on borrowed time until you get marked as spam enough, right? So pe people only want to see um, announcements for upcoming meetups they presumably want. Mm -hmm. the, the lead magnety thing off the platform is like it's interruption marketing for sure, but it's like, oh, this is kind of annoying. Oh, wait, okay, that looks cool. Actually, I'll take it. Right. right. You just don't want to push it. Right. And what a what a great course. I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. Yeah, no, just one last thing around I just realized around partnerships too. So once I held my first meetup, mm -hmm. I would then um email all the other meetup owners. And I would say, hey, by the way, um, you know, I see you have your group of 400 people. Um feel free to, do you want to email them and tell them to come to my meetup, right? So there's a couple of gatekeepers within meetup. If you can become friends with them, that can be really, really helpful. One thing um, that I did was I found someone who owned a, a, a really high volume, high audience meetup. And I just said, do you want to be a co-founder of my meetup? Right. And so like you can message, you can message, you know, for, First things first, I got a hundred users in th in three days for fifteen dollars. So don't be greedy about it. Like be right. liberal about it, right? right? But then like, hey, you can um, you can be a co-host and message my users as long as it's reasonable, as much as you want. But can we can we blast into your list? He said sure, and then you know my list doubled, right? Uh, yeah, they got some messages from this new guy, but like I had nothing four yeah. days ago, right? So <laughs> I mean, um, people people are very very protective about these 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 things. But like when you grow it so quickly it's much more advantageous to be cooperative, to find partnerships and to be pretty liberal with it. Oh, what a, what a great, I mean, that as uh, one of my friends used to say, that's stinking genius. I mean, <laughs> invite <laughs> Gary V to be a co-host of my meetup group. Yeah, right. <laughs> Gary, you can blast, you can spare yeah. users all you want, pal. <laughs> How about you and I combine our lists? <laughs> that's right. I'll that's bring right. my 10 and you bring your 10 million. <laughs> that's right. Let's not talk about the details <laughs> of the size of these lists, but- We're both in the 10s. <laughs> You know, somewhere we'll in the tens, a little bit, yeah, somewhere in the tens. So, <laughs> man, what a great uh, micro course! Thanks for thanks for touching on that. I'm I'm really glad that uh, you know I had that epiphany halfway through our interview that just said, "Hey, you need to ask him about this because because he's really going to drop some value on <laughs> this particular area." Yeah, and it'd be interesting interest. too if there's other platforms like that as well because I love these. I hate the word moat, but it's applicable in this situation. Mm -hmm. I like these natural moats for effort effort moats, right? Like, um, cause yeah, like we said before, people, people are willing to send 10,000 emails before they want to pick up the phone. And so I wonder if there's other offline things there. Um, I'll have to think about it more. 
Well, man, I really appreciate your time today. I've got a couple of real quick questions that I just kind of want to wrap up with that uh, I'm just, you know, these have been generated too as we, as we talk today. But, but one of them is if you could go back, if you kind of go back to the beginning and what would be one piece of advice that you would give yourself that you think would be a game changer? This would have saved me so much time. I would have, you know, I would have 10X'd what I was doing right off the bat. Is there one thing that you wish you knew 10 years ago? Man, I mean, so many things. Like, I, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's easy. Don't to, go to Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's just scratching the surface. There's, I, I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't even, you know, I'm running this my own business now. I have a small team. Like, the numbers are looking great. But the other thing to think about is like, I've been working on this for eight years, mm-hmm. and I think you could easily argue that this is either successful or a complete failure <laughs> like eight <laughs> years i wrote a I wrote a post recently about the kind of the last few years of going full time and listed out all my revenue numbers and then I, and i say like okay this looks pretty good right like you know you could say i'm bragging this and that but here's another example here's a list of companies that were created after clickmind lyft 24 billion dollars snapchat 15 billion dollars instacart 7 billion dollars sofi 4 billion dollars right so you know, I could have made in eight years, I could make, get two university degrees. I could have a seven-year-old child, right? There's a, there's, there's a lot you can do in eight years, right? So I wouldn't like, I'm not going to say I did it the right way. I went pretty slow. I did a lot wrong. Um, but okay. With all that caveat, I think the biggest thing that would have been helpful, I wouldn't have necessarily changed anything I did. The one thing I would change is I would go back in time and tell myself, you don't have to be successful right now. <laughs> like, it's okay to suck. And, mm-hmm. and like, I'd be like, look, look, past Tommy, this is future Tommy. And I got bad news for you. You're going to suck for eight years. <laughs> and it's okay. The, but the there big, is a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> there is a light. Um, the big, yeah, the big thing, and this actually happened on my trip back home. I felt like a failure. I burned all my money. I was on, on my one-way ticket back home. And I had, I was running through the story in my head of what I was going to tell my friends, right? And I had to have the story right, right? Like I had to, you know, make sure. I, I just felt really rattled by the fact that I, that I had failed. And, you know, I've gone through the whole story. It was two years. I was gone for two years and, you know, gone through the whole story and all the different things I did. And, and I, I finally make it. I land in Boston. I drive back up to New Hampshire. It's the middle of winter. My, everyone's in jackets and drinking, you know, Bud Light around a campfire. And, like, I see my buddies. And the inevitable question came up. and says, so what happened? You're gone for two years. What happened? And I start to go in the story, right? How do you explain like a two-year story, right? And I start to go in the story. And within 30 seconds, one of my buddies like interrupted me and talked, was talking to someone else. And he said like, hey, what was the, uh, what was the score of the Red Sox game? Mm-hmm. And then someone else said the score. And then just the conversation changed. And it never came up. And at first I was like so mad. I, I, I couldn't believe that nobody cared. Right? But then like later on, as I got older and uh, this moment in time that none of my friends would ever remember, but is grained into my, like engraved into my soul was that nobody cares mm. about you. And I, I, no one cares about you. And I mean that in the most positive and optimistic yeah. way possible. Yeah. Right. Like it is, it is, um, it is, it can weigh you down so much other people's opinions and, and, uh, and, and how they perceive things. And the reality is everyone is so focused on themselves that they really don't care. And, and that should not be like, oh my God, no one cares about me. I'm alone and I was born alone and I'm going to die alone and like (laughs) life is miserable. I'm not trying to say that. I'm trying to say that this is freeing. And if, if, if I could go back in time to myself, I would be like, dude, no one cares about you, and that is the greatest advice you're going to hear all day. Yeah, so I got to buy one, get one free. I got two great pieces of advice to you, to the former Tommy, to, from the today Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> one other thing I want to touch on right as, as we're closing here is that, you know, you mentioned that, you know, you were at a point there on, a, say, a Saturday morning where you couldn't even get out of bed. You know, you were like, I, I'm just, I'm miserable. I, I hate this. I don't want to do it. I have no motivation. I'm kind of just, you know, 
horizontal and that's the way life is. And so how, how do people, you know, how do they, how do they get back up once you're, you're kind of plateaued or once you kind of hit that uh, lack of motivation phase right there? I got a lot of strong, strong opinions on this one. Um, <laughs> the first, first things first, and I think this is an important caveat. Most people don't, uh, most on average, people are average, right? On average, most people suck. And so like, how, like, what's the secret formula? Most people, even if there was one, most people wouldn't take it. Like most people are average. Um, and so that's the first thing. The second thing is my, um, my big move for this is, and it's very weird. I, the, whenever I'm in a slump, and I'm in slumps all the time, but whenever, whenever I'm in a slump, my, I only have one move, and it's to take a violent change of direction. Like, and I change everything about my life to the point where it looks clinically insane, right? So like, like change my entire apartment around, move everything around, throw away clothes, buy new clothes. Like if I'm on a diet, I eat a bunch of junk food. If I'm eating a bunch of junk food, I eat a bunch of healthy food, right? Like, um, you know, stop calling friends, call up new friends, change my desktop background, go drive to work differently, right? Like listen to different music, do go to a different gym, change everything. And this is like the exact, we do a lot of like statistical, um, testing at Airbnb for SEO changes, like AB testing. And you only, you're only supposed to change one variable, right? Right. right. To figure out what's Otherwise wrong. you don't know what, what <laughs> otherwise you don't right? know what changes. Right. But right. when you're completely flat and plateaued, I change everything. Like I just change everything. And it gives it, I don't know why I have no idea why, but it always works. <laughs> like it just, it gives you some room. You see, you, yeah. you see things in a different way. You change your perspective. You laugh at how ridiculous you're being, but it's how many cliches have we talked about on this podcast, but here's the next one. Uh, the definition of insanity being the doing the same thing and expecting different results. Right. Right. And I, so whenever I'm plateaued on whatever it is, I try and change every single category of my life that I can for as long as I can, and then just see what happens. I mean, you almost shock your system. You know, you're, you're shocking your routine. You're shocking your system. I mean, it's, it's such a, like, I like the word you use violent. It's, you know, such a violent change that you're, you know, it's like, you know, an abrupt, you know, being startled, you know, in an abrupt way, you know, so you're not just in the doldrums. That's a great way to describe it. Yeah. And I think what a lot of people, and this is a weird and fascinating psychology thing too, like we live our lives like there's a lion around every corner or like there's a, you know, like a, a bear or another tribe is going to like murder us at every, at, 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 the, at, you know, at every block. But the reality is that those of us lucky enough to be in, 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 uh, you know, in the first world, like, um, you're not, most of the time you're not going to die. <laughs> and so most of the risks are these unbelievable psychological games with yourself. Mm -hmm. They're not real risks. Yep. And so the funniest part about this is a lot, and a lot of people don't realize this, you get infinite tries on, on most things like, okay, fighting a lion, you might not get infinite tries on or jumping over that cliff. You might not get infinite tries on, but like starting a website, you get infinite tries sure. on, right? Yep. Like, um, trying and, you know, doing a cold call, you pretty much get infinite tries on it. So yeah, I, I think the, because I've come to this conclusion that you get infinite tries, um, doing that violent change of direction. And I really like that, that, that way to describe it, shocking the system. It's like a big bath of cold water. Mm. It seems to work because you end up in a different position with a different perspective and, and you, you keep trying from there. I mean, I, I love the, the whole idea of this, you know, it is, it's mitigating risk and, and trying over and over again, because, you know, the cost of failure is so low. So low. Entry is so low, you know, to, it's so, it's so easy to start something online, you know, whatever that thing is, you know, today and, and yeah. And I really appreciate you calling me out on how many web, web domains I, I have in my GoDaddy library. You know? so, yeah. I mean, they send me a plaque every year and say, you know, you're, you're a GoDaddy or the year, you know, thanks for, uh, yeah, you're not making any money, but thanks for buying all these domains. Uh, I actually own the domain. I am bored tonight.com. So if you, you, 
want to use that one? <laughs> I'll make you good price. Interesting. Twitter domain. So yeah, very nice. I'd like very to go back nice. and think why I bought that one. But um, Tommy, man, I appreciate your time tonight. It's just been such a pleasure talking to you. And just, uh, I mean, I feel like I've gone to one of your SEO courses. And you know, I know a lot of the feedback was talking about how entertaining you were. You know, in in the presentation, that really goes back even to like your PayPal days, right? Your you know, your very first presentation just kind of inspired you to say, you know, hey, I got good feedback that, that you know, people cared, you know, they, they went and they enjoyed the presentation and, you know, it kind of fed the beast a little bit. And, and then you, then next thing you know, you're, you're kind of doing this full time. But, uh, and thanks for just taking time tonight and just sharing with us just, you know, kind of your story, your backstory, and just everything that is kind of built into where, you know, ClickMinded has come today. And, really just playing your part and just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Tommy, thanks again for joining us. Kevin, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it.